Welcome to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Kat Lee. I'm here to explore the ideas, stories, and experiences that dig deep into what it means to be an empowered and curious human. Together, we'll connect over emotional alchemy, conscious relationships, and embodiment medicine. On this podcast, I'll be sharing tools, techniques, and wisdom about coming back home to the truest version of yourself. curiosity podcast so for today's intro i want to do a bit of a rewind back into time back to 2015 and this was before i got started in really diving in deep into my spiritual and and self-work and At that time, I was doing all the right things. You know, I had married my college sweetheart, I had gotten my graduate degree, set up a successful acupuncture practice, bought a home, bought a car, and yet my life still felt really hollow. And I was playing the part of who I thought the world wanted me to be, and I was really good at it because no one really suspected how unhappy I actually was. I would drink myself to sleep most nights, and I was deeply unsatisfied in my marriage, and my life made me feel like I was simultaneously too much and not enough, and I was doing all sorts of contortions to make myself fit in. I wandered through my life like a hungry ghost looking to check the next box off the list, and then the next, and then the next, and you know, I was somehow hoping that I would stumble into happiness. Right around when I was 28, 29, I started waking up. And waking up meant that I had to finally start paying attention to my body, which was so pent up with anxiety and depression and pain that it was hard to make it through the day. Becoming conscious meant that I had to stop apologizing for taking up space in my life, and I had to realize that I was the one holding the pencil and that I had a choice in how to write my story. Coming home to myself, to my true self, was not a process of, you know, going somewhere out there to find her. It was also not about rearranging the circumstances of my life to entice her in. It was really about recognizing that she's been there all along and bringing all those parts back together from hollow to whole meant forgiving, celebrating, admitting, accepting, and loving who I am. Now, what I wish that someone had warned me was that coming home to my true self was not a sunshine and rainbows experience. In fact, it required me to attend a thousand funerals of the person I used to be. And that's really what we're going to talk about on today's podcast. I've got my good friend and colleague, Christina Ciccone. She is also a classical Chinese medicine practitioner. And we're going to talk about the painful and liberating process of connecting back to your essential nature. And so in this episode, we'll be covering the adaptive role of the ego the attachment that we have about particular roles and narratives in our lives, and how career and relationship transitions are a form of ego death, and the liberation 
on the other side when we truly know who our true selves are. So I hope that this conversation sparks some curiosity about yourself and your own journey and your own process. And I hope that if this episode is helpful for you, please leave us a review for us on iTunes. I also want to share that this podcast is completely supported by this community. And I love sharing this content with you. And if you're somebody who's tuning in regularly, I hope that you'll become a patron and support via Patreon. You can find me on patreon.com if you search for Kat Lee. And support can look like $3 a month, and a couple times each month, I'll be dropping extra goodies that you'll receive as a Patreon member, like PDF journaling pages, guided visualizations, videos of acupressure points that go with the themes that we cover, and this is going to evolve over time, and you're going to get so much out of this membership. So this is the first month of Empowered Curiosity podcast being out in the world, and I have a goal of hitting 10 Patreon members this month, so I hope that you will be one of these folks. And just to be clear, this podcast is free. It will always be free, but supporting me on Patreon means that I get to keep bringing you this valuable content. So again, that is patreon.com and search for Kat Lee. I hope you enjoy this episode with Christina. Welcome to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. I am so, so glad you are here joining us. And today I have... A bit of a special treat just because Christina is here with me today and um, she's one of my my besties, my colleague from AccuBalance. Um, I feel like we've had such a, I don't know, I, I feel like you are one of my teachers in non-attachment so I love that we're having this conversation. <laughs> I remember when I um, was thinking about moving to Canada and we were going or I had to retake my Canadian board exams, you were the one who had most recently taken them. And so I was asking you, you know, like, what sort of herb questions can I expect? And what sort of acupuncture <laughs> questions can I expect? And, you know, wanting some like really solid details. And, and I remember you just being like, like, just get a good night of sleep. Like, you're going to be <laughs> fine. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a, qu- a questionable advisor for those sorts of things. But. No, but it was the perfect thing to hear is just like, you've been practicing yeah. for a while now, you know, the, the California license exam is harder, like this is yeah. going to be fine, just sleep, like yeah. you're going to be okay. Yeah, I was like, you've been in practice for five years already, I think by the time you showed up. So um, yeah, that little bit of extra panic stuffing in information of the things you've actually been putting into practice for the last five years was maybe um not going to be that much more worth it compared to just get some rest yeah but that was the perfect lesson in like non-attachment and particularly like at that time in my life I was so attached to all the things you know well we can talk about all the things that we get attached to I think this is a really fun conversation so thanks for inviting me yeah Uh, yeah it's great to have this kind of these are the kind of conversations we have in our 
in our free time. In yeah, our- it's just in our regular <laughs> hangout time. So uh, we I'm- might as well hit record. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's similar to um, Nicolette's conversation that I had last week where I really did not prepare very many notes. You know, I have a couple of questions that I think would be interesting to explore, but I think just sort of hanging out and and seeing how this conversation flows is going to be super interesting and I'm ready to just pick your brain and, and get cozy. Let's do it. Yeah. So I know that um, when we were prepping a little bit, uh, you had a question that you wanted to pose for our listeners here. And so you want to start mm-hmm. out with that? Let's do it. Yeah. The, so I guess our, our talk is titled Connecting with Your Essential Nature, which um, is a really open-ended thing. But uh, I thought a nice question. I'm a big fan of questions. I think we learn a lot more from questions, even more than we do from someone giving us answers. Um, 100%. And uh, I love even in, there's a long history of if you look at philosophy, but even our, our, our foundational Chinese medicine textbooks that I, I love that are a few thousand years old, but a lot of them are actually a series of, of question and answers of conversations just kind of like this. And that's, that's where a lot of wisdom comes because there's knowledge and there's data, but um, questions get you to check in and um, maybe think a little bigger. So um, I'd love to start with a question. And since it's about our essential nature, I love the question, who am I? And I think that's a good one to maybe take a second um, for anyone listening, maybe write down three to five things, five would even be good. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you answer that question? Um, you know, in any scenario, not necessarily an interview. Who am I? Mm-hmm. How do you even answer that? And it can be anything. It can be nouns, adjectives, just the first five words that come to mind. And so we'll just give you a yeah. moment yeah. to and do that. We will check in with that at the end. Yeah. So just writing down what pops into your head for now. I'm just going to pause for a moment and give you a bit of time so that you can just jot down five words that come to mind. And that can just be pen and paper, just pop open a notes on your phone. You know, just, it's gonna take you 30 seconds. So I'm just gonna be 30 seconds right now. For me, like I answer that question so differently now versus, you know, I think back <laughs> to five years ago when we first met, like, I think that that's an interesting sort of reflection. Um, and, you know, I was so attached to my identity as an acupuncturist and, you know, who my boyfriend was and how much money I made and like all the things that I think we all have a tendency to attach to that are actually constantly in flux. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's one of the key. A lot of the things that we do get attached to are really impermanent. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes a lot of crisis comes out of that, that fluctuation. What happens when those things change? If I identify, because um, I've worked really hard at it, that if I identify with, I'm a surgeon, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a great mom, or um, I'm a good girl, I'm a good boy, I'm a rebel, what happens when that changes? What happens if, you know, you identify with, career's a good one, because um, that can be tragic for people. What happens if you identify with, I'm a ballerina, I'm a dancer. Obviously, if you know about that career, so much of your heart and soul goes into that. So it's a big part of how you spend your time, what you do. But what happens if you, this happens in high-level athletes all the time, if you injure yourself and are no longer able to dance or play football or whatever the scenario is, um, who are you now that you cannot be ballerina or baseball player? Who are you if you lose your job or a pandemic happens and you're out of work? Uh -huh. Who are you if you're not lawyer? What happens if you... Um, have a moment where you're fighting with your kids and you're fed up and you feel like you've made a mistake and you're not the great mom or uh, you accidentally hurt someone's feelings or you can't keep up or you make, you know, you have some learning moments and you're not good girl or, you know, you don't feel like rebelling. You actually really get along <laughs> with this opposite person. Uh -huh. um, so I think there's, yeah, the, the, um, there's a lot of instability that comes from attaching or identifying with things that are actually just roles and not who you really are. Uh -huh. and hopefully with some of them, this is a huge topic, but hopefully through some of this conversation, um, we'll get to a little bit of, you know, how do you find out who you really are and what are those, what is that more stable place? What is that foundation that, you know, if something happens to change these very changeable things, and you know, change is the only constant. So it's things will change. But uh -huh. you know, how do you re? How what 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 keeps you grounded? What keeps you stable? Or um, if if you aren't your thoughts, because you can change your opinions all the time, then then who are you? If you hire, uh -huh. who are you? Um, yeah, and it's a, it's a really sticky web that we, we construct and we weave around ourselves. So yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah. So I always like to start out, like, before we get to the, like, how, because I think that we have a tendency in our culture to just jump to the solution, you know, and everybody's why is going to be so, so different. Um, how, like, how would you... I'm just curious about, like, in your experience, why do people attach to particular identities, particular roles, particular narratives? Yeah. Um, we do a lot of, I mean, we're, we're really cognitive people. We, we've, our brains are a great tool. Um, but even foundationally, if you remember as a kid, um, often language has a bit to do with it too. I mean, maybe this question isn't phrased as much like this anymore, but I know when I was growing up and if I was a kid, um, what would you like to be when you grow up? <laughs> Who are you going to be? Not what are you going to do to earn an income and bring you joy? Yeah. Or what activity are you going to be involved? Like, who are you going to be when you grow up? It's like, well, 
uh, well, that implies something different than I am now, because mm-hmm. what am I being now? Um, and, and it also attaches a lot of identity that implies that this job or whatever, you know, because you're usually talking about career, becomes an identity because you've used the word, what are you going to be? Mm-hmm. Which is a really interesting setup. If you're, you know, six, seven, five years old, 12 years old, 38, <laughs> yeah. you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? Yeah. Lays the groundwork for um, taking that on as part of a reflection for your essential nature, who you mm-hmm. are, um, which is. Which and is a lot of that is tied in the like doing versus mm-hmm. the being. Right. Like a lot of it is like, I'm going to be an astronaut or I'm going to be a veterinarian. And it implies that we're going to find our value through the tasks that we do, the role that we play in society versus, you know, I I don't think I've ever asked a kid and they've replied like, I want to be a kind person or like, (laughs) it's very rarely a, um, a reflection of the qualities that they want to embody. Yeah. And it's been really externally focused. I think that's a, something you just hit on that is is partially key to it's it's just always very outward looking it's very doing based and it's actually not very being based um, it's it's you know what are you what activities are you going to consume yourself with and part of the external looking is um, some of a lot of that identity or values wrapped up in what other people value that perception um, what value do you know even we talked about um, the role, and we'll get into archetypes in a bit, but, mm-hmm. you know, if we, we're both in Chinese medicine, we're acupuncturists, I mean, we could get really wrapped up in the role of healer, or, you know, if you're a surgeon, there's a certain amount of respect that, you know, is placed on that as a society where, um, you know, you could be a really accomplished surgeon that, you know, has, has saved some lives, but, you know, who knows what's happening in your life and you can be um, you know you could be a librarian that is just an incredibly kind self-aware highly effective individual in you know in in how you're living your life and contentment and um, so some you know that that value and oh you do what you do makes you important mm-hmm. yeah and you know like I'm totally guilty of living this way for the first 30 years of my life or so of like having my identity wrapped up and entangled around receiving love and appreciation and respect from other people. And when we do that, you never really get to know yourself. Like, like I feel like, you know, right around Saturn return, like when I turned 28, 29 is, is when I started asking myself, you know, what is valuable to me and what are my belief systems and does my external world align with my internal world and what does that mean to my integrity? You know, I think these are all important questions to ask. And I think that starting from the, the, who are you when you're just being like when you're Mm -hmm. alone in a room and just sitting in a room by yourself, um, like, who is that person? And then the external matches that, if yeah. that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being alone in a room, sort of, who am I, is a really uncomfortable question for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, yeah, um, 
and there, yeah, there's a lot, if you've been a lot of outward looking and trying to live up to standards that, uh, you know, values that you've taken on, you know, if you're valuing other people's opinion of you um, more than an intrinsic value that you feel of yourself because you just are, mm. then that sets you up for a lot of anxiety, stress, fear, depression. Um, and so we build a, you know, the, there's a lot of talk of ego um, self sort of around. And I, you know, I know I used to associate the word ego with, um, you know, being very tied to narcissism. Maybe it's a really inflated sense of importance or self, but ego is really just, as, as far as I understand it, the mental construct we make for ourselves of our identity. And it's really just that it's a mental construct. So it's thoughts, that we've pulled in, ideas that we've pulled in, and they're not necessarily based on that beingness, they're, they're cognitive thoughts, ideas, identities, roles that we play. But the problem with that ego self is that it is a mental construct, which means it's very, very fragile mm -hmm. because thoughts change, opinions change, circumstances change, and the ego is a living, part of ourselves it's the mental part of ourselves and it will try its darndest to not die to defend uh -huh. itself uh -huh. it wants to stay alive it wants to stay strong so if something's a threat to this idea of you being a good person or a super helpful member of society or um you know an excellent whatever it is or um someone's threatened your your sense of who you are, um, you're, you're going to, that ego part will, will fight back and pull in all sorts of protective mechanisms to try and sustain itself. Uh -huh. um, and you can also identify with things that, um, you know, maybe were true in a circumstance, but well past due. Um, victims along one that often stays well past due. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot that try to keep itself. Who am I if I'm not a cancer survivor? Or, you know, these are some big sensitive uh -huh. kind of ones too. But yeah. um, part, of, part of that ego self is, one, it's, it's highly um, fragile. And two, it's also really narrow. Um, you could, why would you box, your, box yourself in? We're, we're a lot of things. Uh -huh. Um, so what happens when you want to change your mind or what happens when you're not sick anymore or, you know? Yeah. I think we're seeing this so much and, and I think about ego thinking as being very black and white as like, you know, either you're part of the club or you're not part of the club, either you are this identity or you're not this identity. There's no room for nuance. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of the ego that we need to have a bit of gratitude for as well, because it, it is a survival mechanism. 
you know, it is like wrapped up in the ego are ways that I have found value for myself. It's ways that I have fit into society. It's ways that I've received love. And so if I play the role of the good girl, I know that I'm going to receive love and validation. If I play the role of the healer, the doctor, then I know that I'm going to earn respect, you know? And so there is a part of it that we have to think because we it's helped us survive, you know, like I can't think of any other way to, 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 say, to state that. And, and it develops in, in early childhood, you know, mm -hmm. it develops in like the pre seven year old phase. Like there's, there's a, a shift that happens around seven where your brain starts to understand and starts to empathize. But before that we live in a very egocentric world of like, this is mine <laughs> and, you know, like, it's hard to sort of see outside of the context of, of us, you know, things happen to me, things happen at me, things happen because of me, like, like, talk to any four or five year old, and they're very, very wrapped up in, in their ego, right? Mm -hmm. Or beginning, beginning to understand the concept of duality. <laughs> Absolutely. Me and you, mine yeah. and not mine, yeah. and not yours. <laughs> and uh, asserting independence and you're right I mean you know we try we even with things that are um, maybe not necessarily helpful lifelong tools even like ego constructs you know we they just are too like they're just part of some things that we go through as humans and we learn and they're not necessarily oh whoops I developed an ego <laughs> that's human nature too but um, and actually, we'll come back to duality, I think, too, because that's, that's a really interesting uh, concept. comes up a lot in yin and yang and what mm -hmm. we do in Chinese medicine. But mm -hmm. um, that self and other. And when you're a child, you do want to, um, you, do, you do reach a point where you need to understand um, yourself as a, as a sovereign identity compared to your parents. Yeah. You know, you, you do need to establish that. We live in a physical, form-filled world. There's things that there's... You know, we just, it's built to have, you know, a sense of autonomy and get to have choice and to be creative and to play and to, um, yeah, we, you know, take these different things that make us unique, our DNA, our, our circumstances, and we get to sort of form these individual experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so yeah. at that stage, it's like, like the ego is an important part developmentally for us because it helps us identify, you know, I'm no longer a part of my mom. So there's that differentiation between, you know, me and other. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that where we run into trouble is when we don't evolve out of that space of me and other, and we go, you know, we sort of hold on to that, that box of this is my stuff and that's your stuff. And I see it so much in politics. I wasn't planning on, on going into politics, but <laughs> like a lot of what we're seeing in the, the States right now is identity politics, you know, of like you're either a Democrat or you're a Republican. And, you know, if you, I know that some of the, the harder political conversations that I've had with, with my friends is, hey, like I agree with you on these eight out of 10 topics and with these two things, 
I want to have more conversation. Like I'm not quite sure where I land on this. And there's that gray, that nuance. And, um, and then I'm automatically ostracized as being another, you know? Mm. And so there's, there's that, that sticky space around ego where it, it's really good at identifying other because it sees it as a threat Mm -hmm. and then, and then pushes that threat away. And again, there's that survival mechanism Mm -hmm. because I need to protect myself. Um, But then it's not really a helpful construct when it comes to the collective, you know, the health of the collective, the ability to empathize with other people, the ability to actually see things from another person's perspective and maybe understand why they may think that way, even if I disagree with them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the, the image and the concept or the metaphor of yin and yang in, <laughs> in, in duality, in self and other, in, in things, because if you look at, and most people are familiar with that drawing, that black and white um, curving into itself. I don't even know how to describe it visually, but everyone knows what I mean. But in the center of the black part is a little white circle. And then in the center of the white part is a little black circle. So um, the description is there, you know, I guess in this realm, in this existence, there is duality, but there is always a little reminder that there's, there's a little part of the opposite in each other you know what I mean like there's there's we are separate people but there are things that we share or um, you know maybe I'm generally a good person but there is darkness in me or there are some things that you know because I'm human this is a complete picture there are going to be little bits of everything so it's always a bit about separating but then coming back together separating coming back together or not separating so far that you lose the reality that um, Mm -hmm. there are threads of attachment that run through or connection that runs through everything. And, um, you know, I might not be that tree, but (laughs) maybe has a role to play in my life. I'm not so not totally disconnected to that tree because it provides oxygen for me to breathe. And, you know, there's, 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 um, a whole bunch of positive things that come from realizing that connection, but you can do that and still have this duality. Another place where we see duality is in ourselves. There's your nature and then there's the ego self. Where did Mm. this separation come from? Mm. Who who are you? (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) I love that. You know, who are you? Who is the who that can ask you who you are? Yeah. That, that was sort of a, a mind-blowing concept for me at, at some point, mm-hmm. is that um, all of a sudden, that sense of awareness, if you can step back and see the mental constructs that you've made for yourselves, or you can see this, you know, that... that that sense of awareness of how can you even ask who is the who that can even ask who am I? If you were so completely identified with who you are, you wouldn't be able to step back and ask that question. So, Mm -hmm. aha, there's a little space around this. There's Mm -hmm. a little space around those constructs. And there's um, that nuance. There's that new, there's a little space and there's a little awareness. And that begins to lay the foundation of getting back to 
who we are as a being rather than a doing or a thinking. And mm-hmm. that is a much more stable place. Mm-hmm. And I know we were talking about, um, you know, this is a world of, you know, form and we do get to have experiences. And uh, we were talking a little bit about role-playing um, and archetypes, but yeah. in role-playing, uh, I was sharing with you, an example of um, recently, actually just before the pandemic, uh, going to Disneyland for my sister-in-law's birthday and my niece and nephew were there and um, stick with me. This isn't just about my vacation. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But we, we went to Disneyland, which is an incredibly creative world of artifice and Mm -hmm. uh, storytelling and narrative. I mean, you cannot, these are the, best of the best in the world at narrative and mm-hmm. constructs <laughs> and you can go into that knowingly and we, and you know it happened to be this new star wars land had been built and my family is you know big star wars fans and we went and part of the fun was to bring clothes that you know weren't out and out costumes but we would dress for the star wars land we would dress like citizens and we would get harassed by stormtroopers and, you know, Chewbacca came up and gave my partner a huge hug. And in that moment... Because he was dressed as Han Solo. (laughs) Because he was dressed as Han Solo, yeah. (laughs) And in those moments, it's so fun to step into these roles and to put on a costume or to play. And in that moment, it's not... That wasn't an actor in a costume. It's like, oh my gosh. And they are excellent at what they do. They're excellent actors. They've got amazing costume design. And it's like, wow, in that moment, I'm ready to play and imagine what this would be like if I were flying the Millennium Falcon and, you know, this. But it's much more obvious to know that you're playing and playing a role when it's that kind of scenario. You're dressing up for Halloween, you're going to Disneyland, you're, you know, you're playing dress up as a kid. Because at the end of the day, and even at the moment, even in the moment when I'm, you know, suspending disbelief and having a lot of fun, I know that I am not a fighter pilot. Like I cannot get in an X-wing, which doesn't even exist as a ship design and fly. Like I, I know the difference, but it's a role I can step into to test out ideas, to build empathy. Like when we play as children, we, we try on these roles and um, they're very convincing in our minds. And it's a way to um, test things out without a lot of real world consequence I mean you can be six and have a doll and play mom um, and not have the responsibility of following through on that parenting role as a six-year-old you know there's things you get to test out Um, there's ways to build empathy I you know I used to play um, one of among many things that I used to play but uh, like deep sea diver and sea rescue and I had a big blue duvet um, that I would throw on the floor and that was the ocean. <laughs> and um, you would, you know, dive under and, you know, do <laughs> search and rescue for your stuffed animals or yeah. deep sea dive. And, and, you know, as you're rescued, you could build empathy or when you play with your friends and you're in these roles, you can learn to build empathy. What is it like to be in someone else's shoes? Yeah. How can I transport into thinking of not just myself, but that other? Yeah where do I see myself in the other? And, um, but it's obvious when you're playing that this is just a role. Like I know that that duvet is not the ocean and it's just a little 
what trial run fun um, because if I tried to I actually am certified to dive, but if I tried to dive after just the duvet experience, like I would be very ill prepared. <laughs> um, so it's a role. You can take off the costume and put yeah. it away, but we, it's harder as an adult to take off my doctor's suit or my lawyer's suit or my daughter's role. Like it's, it's harder mm. to remember that that is just a role that we play. They can be important. They can be enjoyable. Um, but you are playing a role because these things are not the complete version of you and they're changeable. Yeah. I love that. And it's like, it, it brings the importance of, of actually the wisdom that kids have because they, they do this with such ease, you know, like one day I'm the doctor when I'm playing you know, doctor patient, and then the next day I'm the patient, you know, and so you have that exercise of jumping in and out of different roles, and we or don't the burglar. Really, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we don't really do that as adults, like we put on one role, and then this is the role that I play, and, and then everything about my life revolves around that, and we identify, and, you know, and then, and then it becomes devastating if mm-hmm. that role dissolves, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. And, and yet, you don't disappear off the face of the earth. That's true. So I think that's sort of the that's right. how you know that um, that's not the complete story and that, you know, these things can be super meaningful parts of your lives, but they are not the end-all be-all because if all you were was a doctor or a mom or, you know, a dancer, if that role dissolves, you don't disappear, you don't die maybe your ego suffers a bit of death, Mm. but you don't just vanish off the face of this, the earth. If you know that, that good girl made a mistake Mm. or if you know, that's, you know, whatever you identified with changes, you don't disappear. You're still here. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of people we, we see struggling sometimes with trying to recapture who they are. I see this a lot in women who are in menopause. They've mm-hmm. identified with identified with mom role and putting others first, and and um, you know that that uh, that's right. Helping others, and what happens when their reproductive years um, are actually you know that that's done now. You've done your duty, or the kids grow up and they're moving out of the house, and all of a sudden you've got more time for, for you. Um, it's like, Oh, who, who am I? Mm -hmm. And luckily you're still here. You you're here. (laughs) You're, you're someone, you're lots of things. You're everything. Yeah. Um, but that little, you know, that, that costume that you had on that really important role that you played, you know, could be super awesome. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. um, if, but if that's not the primary uh, focus of your identity anymore, you're still here. So, so what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> so I am, I think you're actually like so well suited to have this conversation because before you were an acupuncturist, before you were a practitioner, you had a completely like fundamentally different role. <laughs> So can you talk us through, like, because I often say, you know, a lot of the self-work that we do is about attending 
thousands of funerals of who you used to be. And I think that that sort of speaks to what we've been talking to in terms of like ego death and, mm. um, and making sure that you don't understanding that you don't dissolve if your role dissolves. And so like, talk to me about what it was like, like what, what your spirit was, was <laughs> feeling when you decided to completely shift gears um, and move into Chinese medicine instead of graphic design, which is where you, where totally. you started. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I love the way that you talk about attending many funerals for yourself. And I'd love to hear some of your experiences too after, because I think you also, you have a beautiful way of, of phrasing that and telling those stories. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> I used to be, um, be, <laughs> I used to do, um, after, I guess, after graduating high school, um, I had a real interest in, I had always been, um, sort of a creative artsy kid and you know would draw and do all the various artsy things and um, when it was time to pick a career I wanted to do something more creative but I was uh, actually really getting interested in sustainability so I decided to go into because here's the common thread is that you say a fundamentally different career it absolutely looks like that on the outside to mm. me they're actually barely different mm. um, which is really interesting, you know, more of a sideways scuttle than a, <laughs> um, but uh, I used, so I went to Emily Carr for design and um, the motive behind that has always been the improvement of the quality of our lives was always and still is a lot of the motive behind what I do. It's a value that I have. Um, I'd love to play a role in some way uh, for myself, for others. How do we, you know, here's our life we've been given. How do we elevate the quality wherever we can? Because why not? You know, why not? My dream is that everybody would just have a good time and that is completely unrealistic but anywhere we can alleviate suffering or have something work better especially if there's a choice you know it's it's something we have options over so i went into design school i went to emily carr i majored in industrial design which used to have a better name i think um, it's called product design um, so ergonomics systems objects and I went into design with a focus on the external environment and improving it because I know it affects us so much how we live internally um, and I went into that and you know the school itself was um, sort of unnecessarily taxing <laughs> you know it's you know again compared to surgery not seem you know seemingly that important of a but that program at the time was ridiculously intense I mean a bit like yeah, I'm some sort of boot camp. Um, so I was incredibly, and, you know, less skills that we've learned through medicine about how to care for yourself. I mean, anyone who's been to post-secondary education knows that there's a lot of an incredible amount of pressure that can come with that and um, demands. And so I was highly burnt out by the time I even graduated. Um, I did sort of segue, I also was trained in some, some visual and graphic visual communication and graphic design. So um, because a lot of design turned into computer work, I decided to do a little more um, branding for small businesses and did more visual things, but I was really burnt out and uh, um, pretty done before I even began. But I had spent 
you know, I also did a stint of woodworking in there. <laughs> I did like, you know, like I went to BCIT for wood joinery. So I had put an incredible amount of time and money and having people support me and, um, and energy, energy. Oh yeah. That was spent. Um, <laughs> But, you know, you, you put in all these things and people are rooting for you and, and, and your identity is, well, I'm a designer, um, you know, because you've taken, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I'm a designer. And, um, and as I started, I was tired to begin with. And as I went along, it was just uh, getting more and more taxing because I was, again, pretty burnt out there and you know, struggling with um, perfectionist tendencies, which is not a good match for uh, design <laughs> because <laughs> you can micro adjust till 4 a.m. in bed until the top, you know, 2% more green. And I guess it's really not a good match uh, to be a perfectionist and a, and a designer. So, you know, I didn't have a lot of tools around that. So I was burning out pretty fast and hard. So yeah, when you start to think why well, I, I wasn't, I was struggling with thinking, well, if I'm not enjoying this and I, it's hard, like the energy drain of doing something that is um, not a really good match or, you know, you're just, your heart's not in it, um, takes a lot of energy. So the thoughts start to creep in. Okay, well, gosh, what if I don't want to do this? Mm. That almost sounds like an unthinkable thought because that means breaking down the identity of who I was, uh-huh. of, of facing thoughts of these external validating factors. Like, what about that, you know, that, what about my mother-in-law who helped, like, give me a couple hundred bucks to create my website? Or, you know, how am I going to let these people down? Or I've, I've spent, you know, I've taken out student loans and I've, spent all this time and energy and what are, it was less about me. I was ready to abandon ship, but <laughs> it's like, what are other people, mm. what are other people going to think about this and that thought of disappointing? Yeah. And so there is this moment of placing that external value and not listening to the value that comes from within mm. because the reality is, and this turned out to you know, I've proven this to myself many times, but the reality is that um, when you value yourself and who you are, people don't actually berate you the way you, you think they do. Or if they, if they did, and you're coming from this really authentic, thoughtful, aware place, um, that's totally their problem. Yeah. That, that is not someone who's seeing you or listening to you or... Um, and actually nobody, nobody gave me a hard time about changing careers except for myself. Mm. Um, but letting go of who I thought I was, who other, who I thought other people wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. So I ended up thinking about, you know, what else do I want to do? And tried to sit about, you know, not just what are you good at, but how do I work? What do I Mm -hmm. like to, what do I like my activities to look like? How do I like to interact with people or, or my day? Um, so it ended up being an amazing switch. And I say they're similar careers because, you know, nothing we learn, whether it's in life or school goes to waste. Like I still use the way I think in design every day, problem, mm. creative problem solving, 
uh, listening to people between the lines. When someone comes with you with a request for a design project, they don't necessarily know the language or what questions to ask. And in Chinese medicine or as a physician, it's the same thing. I don't expect people to know all the Chinese medicine language or even the Western medicine language. And my job is to really be attentive and, and aware and um, be creative because there's not just one path to the desired goal. Yeah. Um, so it's very similar. So I'm curious about, because I think so much of what I try to share here on the podcast is the connection and the interconnectedness between the mind, body, and spirit. So what was your body doing at this time? Because I, I, I get a sense of like what was happening in the spirit level and the mind level. Um, but tell me about what was happening with your body. Like how was she communicating? Oh, great question. Uh, because uh, I developed, actually the reason I took changing my career uh, seriously was that I um, I'm a, was doing graphics on the computer. So I used my right hand um, to my dominant hand to draw and do all those things. And I developed crippling carpal tunnel in my right hand um, pain when I was just at rest and sleeping. It got to the point where I could not use the mouse or the trackpad. And I actually had to stop work mm. because I wasn't ready to listen to those signals of, Hey, you know what? You're not digging this. Maybe you should change. And I wouldn't, you know, didn't listen, didn't listen. And is often the case. All right, so that mental spiritual level isn't kicking in. How can we make this information more dense and hard to ignore? Mm -hmm. Okay, let's let it crystallize into something physical. You need that hand to do your work? Guess what? My body is so kind that it took away my hand <laughs> <laughs> out of self-preservation and my best interest. It mm -hmm. says, no, no more work for you. Think about, you know, you know, stop and think about what you're already thinking about. Yeah. And, um, and it was best. So just even to have to take that pause, I had to refer my clients out to other designers that I knew. And then I had this kind of time and space, a bit like a pandemic, <laughs> where you're forced to pause. And so, huh, what do you notice on that self-reflection? And then because I was allowed to pause for a moment, then I was able to check in with what I had been thinking all along. Okay. You're not going to like this anymore as time goes by. It's just going to be harder to change the longer you stay entrenched in this role, in this identity. So, okay, I'm like, let's get on it now. Mm -hmm. and, and the truth is, those, if you're coming from that self-respect and mm -hmm. that authentic place, things work out much better, much, much better. Yeah. And, and those fears that you have usually, like, almost never come to pass. And yeah, you know, sometimes we have to be in that. We can talk about the prostitute archetype where as a survival mechanism right now, I'm going to sacrifice what I, you know, know that I am going to be working towards or my authentic way of working because right now, you know what? Um, I just, if I stop doing this, I'm like, I'm going to be homeless at the moment or I can't, yeah. you know, I'm just going to do this, but I'm not going to allow the prostitute to run my life forever because yeah. I'm not going to change, exchange my intrinsic value for money or whatever security I need. Mm -hmm. Um, she's got a great helpful role to play in the moment, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, that, that when you do finally have a chance to step into that authentic, 
response. Like the world responds. Yeah. And I love it too, because it's like, like your body was trying to, to speak up and, you know, had you gone to a a doctor, they would have probably given you some anti-inflammatories and just squished that pain down and, and really squelched it. But you actually taking the time off and you taking the time to listen to your body gave you what you already knew what your inner truth was, which is this isn't the right role for me. This isn't the the costume I want to wear for the rest of my life, you know? And um, I think that that's really helpful for anybody who's considering a role change, who's considering a career change, who's considering retirement and what that's going to look like is the reminder of your body is an intelligent part of this team and is often going to speak up in ways that are uncomfortable (laughs) and are painful and are really sucky. Yeah. (laughs) But it is your role to then take that information and listen and think about, you know, what is, what is my body trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If it's kind of starts, does start a lot in the, in the minds, but um, you know, uh, the longer you ignore that, it has nowhere to go, but the the body and the body will, it's trying to help you out. It'll, it'll come up with something. And I love how you explained it, which is like, it took it from this, this nebulous esoteric space of the mind and the spirit and you weren't paying attention when it was at that level. And so then your body was, was communicating and saying, okay, so you're not listening there. I'm going to make this more dense and crystallize it for you. Yeah. So that you have to pay attention. Mental, emotional inflammation and put it somewhere where it's really going to be physical (laughs) and interrupt your work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, in the, in, in the kind of work that we do, we, we see that happening all the time. And this is not to say that, you know, you are always responsible for your own disease. And, you know, this is, that's a different thing. And, you know, sometimes you just trip and fall and sprain your ankle. And it wasn't because you were not paying attention to this career change that you needed to make or a divorce that should happen or, you know, uh, that's not what I'm saying. But, um, but often for sure, I mean, the mind and body are not separate and, um, and it, you know, life experiences have a way of trickling that down from very, uh, very non-dense to dense. And it kind of often goes in that order. And another takeaway, I think, is that um, these roles we play, like being, getting into design wasn't a mistake. Like I don't view that as a waste Mm -hmm. or a mistake. I use those things, all these, we learn with every role that we take on, with every, um, you know, position that we try, we we do learn things. And so um, designer was a nice archetype that um, you know, I still use a lot of the things that I learn. Um, so it's, it's not a mistake or, or, you know, the shadowy sides or the things that we view as poor choices, like, hey, they're useful too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the hazard is to identify too long with a nar- very narrow whatever role or identity or view you have of yourself or changeable value and, um, and take that on for the utmost truth of who you actually are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's easy to talk about it in terms of roles, but 
I also think that a place that people struggle with is in their roles within relationships, you know? So I know that for myself, the big identity shifting, big ego death was leaving my, my now ex-husband, you know, I had been with him for 12 years and I had at that point, you know, invested so much time and energy and heart space and, you know, all the things that goes into a long-term relationship that, that starts, you know, we met when I was 18 and that, that identity of I'm a good girl, you know, that the family value of we keep our promises the um, the role that I played of being a good wife, you know, and and recognizing that, like, oh, actually, my body had been speaking three years into the relationship. It it was interesting because for you it was the opposite, where it was like your mind and your your spirit sounds like it shifted first, and then your body was like, oh no, you're not paying attention. <laughs> for me, it was the opposite, where it was like my body spoke up first. Mm. I started developing severe anxiety, severe depression, um, and like really bad insomnia, and um, struggled with addiction for many years throughout the course of our relationship, and that was my body saying, this is not right. Mm -hmm. You know, why do you have to numb yourself Mm -hmm. to come home at night? Mm -hmm. So it did start a bit in your mind too, because Mm. something in you did perceive and know, oh, this is not right. Mm -hmm. But probably very quickly, um, yeah. Manifested in the body. (laughs) It just went very quickly because, I mean, think of all the things you just described being wrapped up in that mm-hmm. all those identities and um you know love and respect from other people's values and it's not that we don't appreciate other people's values but what you just described was all of your concerns on stepping back from that role had a lot more to do with out there other people yeah than valuing what was going on in here. Absolutely. I'm, I'm tapping my heart for anyone who can't <laughs> visually see, but, but this internal, internal sense of me. And when that is strong, mm-hmm. you're able to, you know, to, to operate from that place with less fear of what other people think. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like it's very, it's, it's really empowering and, and um, it's not disregarding what other people think, but, um, but if, if you're, if you come from that place of really knowing how you value yourself, what you want out of a partnership, out of, you know, that, that makes it, that's, that grounding makes it so much easier to operate in alignment. I mean, yeah. we, we don't start there. We have to learn to get there. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and just yeah. like you've reflected about, you know, going into design school was not a bad choice, you know, like there are so many things and gifts and, and lessons that you've learned. And, and I feel the same way about my ex-husband is I don't regret at all being in a relationship with him. There's so many things I learned about myself, so many things I learned as I walked away. And um, I think that that's where essential nature comes forth is, is when we step up to these big forks in the road and we choose ourselves over what other people 
think you should do and you choose yourself over the fear of what you know how other people are going to feel and you choose yourself over I'm going to hurt someone else's feelings you know and and that is part of that ego death that we were talking about that um that sticky space of who am I you know yeah who am I when I'm not a designer who am I when I'm not a good wife who am and I when I break promises and I'm not a good girl anymore? Yeah. And how did you feel in that moment when you were finally deciding to, to let that go? I mean, hmm. that would, just, it was, be, just because you know, it doesn't necessarily yeah, yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah. It was terrifying. And again, like I just think about my body as being, such a sacred communicator and the first night I slept in my car um I had like the first full night of sleep that I had had in like 10 years and so like that was such clear communication from my body saying like this fucking sucks it hurts it's gonna continue to suck and you're still on the right path Mm. you know Mm -hmm. Yeah. How was it for you when you stepped away from, from your design design career? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Probably less dramatic, but, but not necessarily. I think we, you know, like you say, there can be big T traumas and small T traumas and um, you know, no matter what, you know, leaving, I like the word ego death that you use because yeah, it's, it's, there's a grieving process of letting go of who you thought you were. So grief, I mean, it, it is, it's like mourning the loss of some, you're mourning the loss of yourself mm. or a little part of yourself or someone you mistook for yourself. Mm. Um, but you have, yeah, there's a little bit, of, there's grief. Um, so there can be actual tears. There can just be a bit of sadness. Um, there can be some doubt. Uh, there can be the ego trying to problem solve and put like, well, maybe we don't have to let this go and try and solution like, you know, some ways to continue on that path. And you have to sort of negotiate that and, you know, oh, well, if you compromise here, maybe it's okay. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, a process, but, um, but you end up uh, stepping out of, when you step away from a, a fragile sense of self onto a more solid self, sense of self, you, you end up yeah, it ends up being, mm-hmm. it's worth it. It ends yeah. up being okay. You're caught. You don't jump off a cliff into nothing. You actually, if you can bring some awareness to it, jump into more yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think it's worth mentioning too, uh, being, having some challenging emotions or anxiety isn't necessarily a sign that you're on the wrong path either. Um, uh, self-confidence and self-worth, I think, are two different things. Mm-hmm. You can be, I've, I feel very fortunate. Um, I didn't have a lot of self-confidence necessarily in high school, but I had a lot of self-value. Mm. So I might have felt shy or um, speaking is generally not a big deal for me, but you know, for someone might not be confident stepping on stage to give a big presentation, um, but they can separate that from the value they have as a human being. Mm, mm -hmm. And so then it matters less 
how they delivered that speech or how it was received. If you have self-value, then, then that's okay. It doesn't have to be wrapped. It doesn't have to rely on how confident you feel because confidence is an outward show of competence or, um, you know, prowess in a doing value mm-hmm. is an inward value of being. That's so it's like, I may fuck up in what I do, <laughs> but I am of value. Yeah. And I think the beautiful thing too, when you feel um, value for yourself, it's so much easier to value others as well. Absolutely. Value. And so it's like, I am not better or worse than anybody else, but we are all of value and we all do different things or make mistakes or Mm -hmm. learn, grow or do something amazing or creative. And we're human. So it means we get the whole package. (laughs) So we do a bit of each of those things. And I love that the the differentiation between self-confidence and self-value and having it come from an external place versus an internal place. I think it reminds me a lot of what Nicolette and I were saying on our conversation um, about the difference between guilt and shame. You know, guilt is, and I've done something bad and shame is I am a bad person. And I think that there's a really similar parallel here um, between the self-confidence of, you know, mm-hmm. I do amazing things and the self-value of I am an amazing person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, I'm not very good at, you know, mm-hmm. designing this logo right now, but doesn't make me <laughs> an unvaluable member of the planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's nice to differentiate between those yeah. two. And I think that it's worth also mentioning that, um, you know, we've given examples from our lives of having stepped away from a career and having stepped away from a long-term relationship. And, you know, choosing yourself does not always mean that it has to come with these like giant dramatic, like leaps of faith, you know, choosing yourself can, yeah, choosing yourself can still look like I'm going to stay with this person, but I'm going to hold a different intention and I'm going to choose myself in that way. It's an excellent, I think, super important thing to bring up because I know that's a lot of anxiety that um, people have around like not wanting to sit the, oh, what if I discover something that I need to change or something I don't like? And it's mm-hmm. like, it's okay, you, you know, maybe, but often like <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's a reconnection more than a, okay, well, if I look deeply at my life, there must be something that I have to shift and it's okay if there's not like, you know, like shift can be also internal or, you know, identity is it's, you know, I, whatever you identify with and discovering what that is, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, if you're, it's better, the sooner you do that, the more it's so, so subtle and so undramatic to shift course and, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm going to, hold more awareness when I um, get together with my friends or I'm going to pay attention to when my best energy is in the day or, um, you know, these can be subtle checking ins and yeah, to alleviate any fears. Cause I know I've definitely listened to podcasts or books in the past where it's just like, Oh, and you actually feel pretty good. And you're, you're at a point where you feel pretty good. And it's like, Oh man, I must be just head in the sand. There must be something terrible that I need to <laughs> shift because I, you know, I feel pretty good right now. So, um, you know, that always waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like, it, it doesn't have to always be that way. Yeah. It does not have to be a dramatic, 
um, life change. It can be an intention or an awareness yeah. shift like yeah. you were saying. And, and often the more we pay attention internally, it's like those little tremors instead of a big earthquake. Yeah. The more little slow, small releases or self-awareness, reconnection, yeah. check-in you have, the less of a big deal it has to become to release that tension or get your attention. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, mm-hmm. actually the more often we, we can sink into just being and, and less doing and thinking. I mean, we are going to do those things too, but um, connecting to your essential nature is a lot about what are you that just is and the mm. being. What, who are you? The doing will change. Your opinions and your thoughts will change. But the actual part of you that is, that can ask, who am I, that field of awareness and consciousness, you just showed up here on, you know, when you were born with all you ever needed, like you already are. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's where we sort of scramble to build identity and add value and Mm -hmm. look for the out there because we are not recognizing that actually you already are. And you're going to go through experiences, but that's not who you are. Mm. I love that. <laughs> so beautiful. I feel like you just wrapped up our talk just then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> possibly. And we didn't even yeah. get into archetypes. That can be a different podcast That can be a whole different podcast episode, yeah. They, they get into roles. Um, yeah. But I think it would be a nice sort of invitation at this point to, you know, go back to that list of words that we asked you to, to jot down at the beginning of this episode, you know, how does that sit with you? Mm-hmm. And, and I'd be it- so curious, um, were they, that list that you wrote down, were they roles that you played, things that you do, job, that kind of thing, or, or were they qualities about you? Like, I'm so interested, you know, what people have written down for themselves, if, if there are more qualities or roles. And, um, but yeah, as you say, how, how does that list look to you now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have maybe a little quote before we go. Yeah, of course. Um, I thought this is kind of a good uh, Eckhart Tolle little quote on... Um, sort of the who am I, because uh, he, in a roundabout way for that question, he says, uh, what a liberation to realize that I am not the voice in my head, or the voice in my head is not who I am. Who am I then? The one who sees that. The one who sees that you're not the voice in your head. So it's it can be so instantaneous. As soon as you can step out of your whatever you've identified with and say, I'm not the voice in my head. So who am I? Oh, you're, you just are. Mm -hmm. You are already. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing you need to add and there's nothing you need to take away. And so go about your business and have experiences and learn and play and have life. And, um, but I think our essential nature, you already showed up with that. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's about releasing those conditions. It's about releasing those narratives and the ways in which we 
think we're going to receive love and that's how we get back to our essential nature so it's another one of these podcasts where we we can't come up with like a concise like top 10 tips on how to get to your essential nature i love it five things to avoid if you want to connect with your essential nature with the, like flashing banana and like uh, <laughs> one yeah. yeah um i can say though just as a practical um uh if it's like okay well great i'm I'm already who I am. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard to be cognitive about that. And, you know, some, so much of the confusion I think is in the language we use mm. English in particular. I, I know we were talking about in French, mm. you would say, um, you know, in English you say, I am hungry. And in French you would say, I have hunger, which means that implies that you're, you have this feeling of hunger um, but it's not your identity uh, where, you know, this I am hungry means that you are embodying everything that hungry is. And, you know, we know that's not what we mean in English, <laughs> but there's a lot of, we set ourselves up in language a lot yeah, for, we do. For, for mistaking being something. But when it's actually just, uh, you know, a passing, a passing state, a yeah. thought, an opinion. Um, so how do you connect more with your essential nature? I think. Just any way you can sit and take a, it's really about taking a break and leaving some space. So just taking a break from the stream of thoughts, just taking a break from the doing and taking a moment to sit and try and feel um, your, your beingness mm -hmm. because we can be caught, we can try and mentally figure out who we are till the cows come home and you'll never get there because who you are is really a state of being it isn't something you can define in words like you really just kind of have to to feel it mm -hmm. and, and as an experience not necessarily uh, you know a bunch of emotions they can come but like you're even not even that because those change but like being and so just taking i know you're really good you might end us with a few mindful breaths. Um, you can pay attention to get yourself out of that thinking mode. If you stop and just listen to, what do I hear outside of my window right now? And so, you, you know, you don't have to have a perfect quiet space. You can check in. An exercise I love is um, if you close your eyes and sit still. And you're not moving, just kind of sitting there. And then without moving, focus your attention on your left foot. You're not wiggling it, but try and feel without moving it, your left foot. Your eyes are closed, you can't see it. How do you know it's even there? Got some sensations maybe, maybe some temperature nerves are kicking on, but even more than that, you can sort of feel this impression or this energy of, oh, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've got my foot's there. If you do have a left foot, if you don't, sometimes if you've lost it, you feel it too. Um, or you can focus on a different body part. Um, but yeah, I find that's a really interesting one because how do you know it's even there? So that's a nice way to practice extending or tapping into how do I feel that I am? Start with those 
physical sensations and then it gets easier and easier to just become aware of your presence behind the voice in the head. That's beautiful. I love when we get to sort of marry the mind, body, and spirit all together. Yeah, they're all one. They're, mm-hmm. they're all one. And that's the funny thing about duality too, is that expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction. We need to be we're having, I love the description of being your experience of life is just the crest of a wave on the whole sea. And so that whole sea is one body, but the crest of a wave might think, oh, it's just me. I'm having this very individual experience. <laughs> but really, you've been part of the whole sea uh, the whole time. And it is your individual expression of the sea. You're that one little peak and responding to the wind and the pull of the moon. But um, you're also you're also part of the whole scene. Thank you so much, Christina. Thanks for having me on. This was such a lovely chat. Yeah. Yeah. It's always great to chat with you. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. I love chatting with you. Um, Before we sign off, um, how can people find you, my dear? Oh, are people looking for me? (laughs) (laughs) I forget that sometimes. I've, I've been on pandemic sabbatical. <laughs> um, I have a clinical practice. I also, like you, practice classical Chinese medicine. Um, most of my practice is acupuncture. Um, and I have a clinic in Vancouver on Six and Fur. It's called Hinoki Wellness. Um, so that website is Hinoki, which is actually a Japanese cypress tree, H-I-N-O-K-I wellness.com and um, Hinoki Wellness is also Instagram which I've been sort of vacationing from for a bit but I'm, I'm off and on but either of those places are, are a good place to find my contact info wonderful thank you thank you thank you my friend thank you thank you super fun hope you enjoyed this episode of the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure you screenshot, post, and tag me on Instagram so we can keep the conversation going. And to get notified when the next episode drops, make sure to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss one of our chats.